On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition Podcast, it was my pleasure to get the privilege to interview Lisa Gable. She has served for four U.S. presidents and two governors, counseled Fortune 500 CEOs, and represented global public-private partnerships and nonprofits with an end goal of moving organizations to higher levels of performance. As the former president of the Healthy Weight Commitment Foundation, Lisa has created and led a coalition of food and beverage industry, corporations and public health and government agencies, resulting in the reduction of 6.4 trillion calories from the American diet. Lisa was appointed the very first female U.S. Commissioner General to the 2005 World Expo, holding the personal rank of ambassador, served as a U.S. delegate to the UN Commission and the status of women and served in the Reagan White House and Defense Department. Her corporate experience included serving as Senior Vice President of Global Public Policy at PepsiCo and 15 years in the Silicon Valley. Among her varied volunteer activities, she has served on several boards, including a national trustee for the Boys and Girls Club of America, a board member of Girl Scouts of USA, and a member of the Institute of Medicine Roundtable on Obesity Solutions. A published writer, Gable also had recurring media appearances, including four years as a regularly scheduled guest with Lifetime's national morning program, The Balancing Act. Lisa is the best-selling author of the book, Turnaround, How to Change Course When Things Are Going South. She is a graduate of University of Virginia and holds an MA from Georgetown University. But before we get into Lisa's amazing interview, I have to tell you all about Aspiration. It is a financial firm with a conscience. You can sign up with my link at peppershock.com offers, spend $250, and we both get $50 cash and then $25 do-good dollars to donate. Of course, terms and conditions apply, but you can save money and save the planet. Say hello to money that works for you. Aspiration puts more money in your pocket and helps you save the planet. There's zero ATM fees in the world, zero monthly and overdraft fees, fossil fuel-free deposits, gain your own personal impact score and get $600 in cell phone insurance when you pay your monthly bill with your debit card. Unlimited cashback rewards on every purchase and extra rewards for spending as socially conscious companies. So go to peppershock.com slash offers and select the link for aspiration and you can get money back and do good dollars. I love it. And now it's time for the marketing essentials moment. Today, I wanted to really dig in and talk about identifying your target market. We all know that we need to understand who our audience is and who we want to work with in our companies, our organizations, our nonprofits. Who is it that's going to be the best suited for us to serve in any capacity, whether it's a product or service, right? And when you own the business, you really need to understand who your potential customers are, who your customers already are, and who you want to continually, genuinely get interested in your products or services. And of course, identifying those right consumers can make all the difference in the success and ongoing sustainability and growth of your company. It's going to help you build your brand and your bottom line, right? And so thinking about your target audience, there's a lot of different things that you can discover and uncover as you go through this. And of course, marketing is always an ongoing process, right? It's iterative. It's uh, part science, part intuition. But thinking about the people that are going to buy from you most, right? The, the, The most ideal primary target. Of course, you can always have secondary and tertiary and other targets that you want to 
to attract, but who is it that's going to be the most ideal that's going to walk through your door, right? So we look at demographics. We want to reach the particular audience that are going to purchase from you the most or the best, right? And have the longest lifetime value as a customer and have, uh, ideally, you're going to increase the uh, number of customers that you have and decrease the cost that it takes to acquire them. So we want to drill down and make sure that we understand, you know, what age range, what, um, you know, lifestyle are they at? Are they what we call dinks, dual income, no children, or are they empty nesters? Or are they, you know, new parents? Are they newlyweds? Are they, you know, teenagers? Are they millennials? Are they Gen X or now the new alpha generation? What range of age do you want to target most? And then what income level, right? And we want to understand, you know, who we're serving. And if we're, you know, serving the underprivileged, we want to target to them. And then if we want to serve, um, you know, the the mid-level income or the whatever, you know, maybe it's the uh, affluent income that we want to serve. What gender, right? Um, we want to appeal different messaging to different genders and lifestyles of who they are, right? And then location, or maybe not just gender, but the the pronouns that they claim, right? We want to understand who we're serving and how we're serving them. The lifestyles that they have, the ethnicity that they are, um, the culture that they have in their lifestyle and who they, you know, associate with most, right? And how can you attract those that you want to be a part of and work with the most? What maybe religion can also be a part of this? What education, how much education they've had? or not, um, depending on what your product or service is, and maybe even their marital status, right? We talked about, you know, if they're single or if they're they're married. I mean, lifestyle cho choices and buying patterns can be different for people who uh, are married or not, right? And then, of course, the consumers that share the characteristics that you're after, that you want to hone in on as you are going to delay or relay their message, your messaging to them and how you're going to speak to them and how they're going to resonate with you, right? Who is it that is going to be the ones that you want to go after in your audience, right? And why should you, why should you even identify them uh, as your target audience, right? Marketing, you know, we can profile people and it's okay in this case because we want to make sure that we're relevant and timely and giving them all of the information that they need to make that buying decision and working through that buyer behavior and that buyer's journey that they go through to purchase from you, right? Thinking about your marketing plan and who those specific groups or segments or market segments that you're going to go after and the tactics that you're going to take and putting those all together and then understanding what your goals are. What kinds of things do you want them to do? Is it to buy from you? Is it to change a pattern of what they normally do? Is is it to, you know, become aware of something? You know, are you doing cause marketing? Are you, you know, is it experiential, right? What kinds of things are you wanting to do in order to get that attention? And if it's making adjustments along the way to continuously understand and grow and know, uh, you know, what kinds of things can you do? Can you survey them? Can you do focus groups? Can you just, you know, simply ask questions on Facebook and, you know, get them to respond to you, right? What What is it that you need to do in order to completely and utterly understand your entire market that you're going after? And that way, once you do that, you're not going to waste money on spending marketing dollars on tactics that aren't going to work for a different audience that you're wanting to go after, right? So the more you can narrow down your your market, the better you can get to them, right? And, and understand them. And, you know, and one thing that you can do is identify your existing customers, your ideal customers, right? We all may have some customers that maybe aren't 
as ideal or maybe they're outliers, but think about your main customers. Who are they? What kind of characteristics do they have? Where do they get their information? How are they influenced? What kinds of activities do they do in their day? You know, are they, are they leaders? Are they entrepreneurs? Are they, you know, government entities? Who, who are these people and what kinds of things do they do? Uh, and where, what kind of magazines do they read? What kind of websites do they get their information or their news from? You know, do, do they watch regular television? Do they stream? Do they listen to Pandora or Spotify, right? Understand who it is that you're going after. And then also look at your competition and, and kind of thinking about what your competition and how you differentiate your product or service from your competitors and then understand, okay, what do they do differently that might differentiate them? And what is it that they're targeting and who are they going after that maybe you want to uh, encroach on that market share, right? Maybe you want to start attracting customers to your product or service and understanding what that competitive analysis can do for you, analyzing it, understanding what you are in, in the, the market share that you have. Are you the underdog? Are you wanting to you know, uh, grow that share? And how are you going to do that? What are you going to um, offer as benefits and what kind of value will you give your potential customers? And can continuing to give value to your existing customers as well, right? And listing out all of those attributes and features and characteristics and, you know, personality traits of your target audience can really help you hone in on how you're going to attract them to your brand, right? And then reassessing, reassess again, follow up, reassess, see if you're on target or not. What kinds of things can you tweak or not? What's working well? What's not? What do you need to stop, start, and keep doing? How is it going to continue to help you build your brand and your bottom line? All right, that was your Marketing Essentials moment, the basics that you need to help you build your brand and your bottom line. Now, let's get right into the interview with Lisa Gable. You're in for a treat. Here we go. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Pepper Shock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition Community. And today's guest, we have Lisa Gable. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be with you today. Yes. And Lisa, tell our audience a little more about you and all the things that you do and, uh, you know, and including the book too. I just want to hear more. Well, great. Well, I really appreciate it. It's always hard to talk about yourself and I've got lots of lofty titles like CEO and U.S. Ambassador, U.N. Delegate. But the bottom line is the thing to know about me is that I love to solve problems. And I wrote a book, which ended up being a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller called Turnaround, How to Change Course When Things Are Going South. And what I've done is I've integrated the uh, processes that I learned at Intel Corporation on how to solve problems with the art of diplomacy that I learned at the State Department. Department. And that unique intersection of heart and process is really where I try to stand out in conversations around business. And so just to take you back a little ways, I know that you've worked with some administrations before. Share a little bit more about you. I just, I know, and it's okay to talk about yourself. I give you permission. <laughs> okay. Well, I started my career as a 19-year-old political appointee in the Reagan administration. Uh, they were in the process of privatizing student loans, and I was putting myself through college. And so I actually spent my time at the age of 19 going around the country, talking to students about the benefits of privatized student loans and what you could do 
do in order to fund your education as I was doing. Uh, later ended up at the Pentagon and then at the White House uh, in my early 20s. Uh, was at the White House when Gorbachev came. And so that was really the biggest inflection point probably in history is the fall of the Soviet Union and, uh, and the collapse of, of the communist empire that they ran. I uh, was recruited at that time to come work for Intel Corporation. And the man who recruited me out of the White House was a guy by the name of Craig Barrett. Uh, he was senior vice president of manufacturing at that time. And he had introduced uh, basically just in time and 24 seven uh, manufacturing within the semiconductor industry. His manufacturing techniques would later be uh, basically copied throughout the high tech industry. And so I had the opportunity to learn from this individual how to apply these you know, manufacturing principles around quality improvement process and continuous improvement to solving problems from conversations with the CIA about Intel chips that were going missing and being stolen uh, to having conversations about privatizing and, and improving the way export controls were handled. But Craig's passion was K through 12 education. And so he brought me in to help set up what really, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, people think this has been around for a long time, but really in the late 80s, early 90s was when uh, CEOs first started looking at how can we improve K through 12 education through partnerships with companies. Whole ideas of corporate social responsibility and, and uh, big foundations didn't exist back then. And so the work that we did is Craig went on to be the uh, CEO and chairman of the board of Intel, and I was his uh, troubleshooter, was showing how you could uh, basically help improve education. And what I've tried to do throughout my career is um, I've been involved in uh, high tech manufacturing, uh, turnarounds as well as uh, introductions to new markets, the auto industry, the State Department, uh, the food and beverage industry, and then most recently with food allergies and pharmaceutical and biotech companies. And so it's been a wild career. I've been on the forefront of a lot of big changes throughout history. Yes, I, I have been doing this for 40 years. So um, <laughs> it's been a great career. Oh my goodness. So, okay. I want to hear about an example specifically, if you can share what happened when you got involved in a company that absolutely needed to be turned around. Well, you know, I first, what happened is I was at Intel Corporation and Intel had lost a major lawsuit, which was one of the very first consumer brands that any high-tech company had rolled out. It was called the X86 program. And it, and they, at that time, had big billboards all around major areas that were buying technology. And it had a big X through the name of the Intel product, which was the 286 and the 386. And what they were trying to do is getting people to upgrade their technology and recognize that you needed to do so in order to have high performance. Well, turns out they didn't uh, protect that trademark very well and they lost it. And so they had a seven-year lawsuit. And since I was Craig's, Craig's troubleshooter, I was asked to go in and figure out what Intel did wrong because they were getting ready to invest in a billion-dollar investment for what would be the Intel Inside program, really one of the very first ingredient brands that would be introduced into technology marketing and uh, speaking directly to the consumer for the first time. And so they sent me all over the world and I was meeting with, um, I spent days at uh, the widest variety of companies from British Airways to Louis Vuitton uh, to Legoland, spending time with uh, in Lego, learning what these big companies did to protect their trademarks. And 
And uh, I brought that back to Silicon Valley, ended up setting up the infrastructure for Intel. And what I realized is if Intel was having those problems moving from business to business to business to consumer, then the rest of high tech would be going through the same thing throughout the 90s. And so I started a business and worked with companies like Apple and Oracle and quantum computers and basically helped transition them. So it wasn't necessarily a turnaround per se, but what would happen is that when we go in to start the process of moving their marketing into the consumer marketplace, we would discover internally that some things weren't working so well. So it's really hard to launch a whole new program. And so we actually ended up turning around the infrastructure and in some of the biggest brands in the world. Wow, that's unbelievable. I mean, especially since you got to travel all over and learn, I mean, from Louis Vuitton to, to Lego, I mean. <laughs> that's, it was so much fun. I mean, I remember I was all dressed up, you know, I was only 26 or 20 years old and I'm all dressed up and I go out to, to meet with the Lego people and they're like, we're going to go to Legoland. I'm like, okay. And I, I still remember sitting, they had this like wild, wild west thing. And, and since I was the American, the part of Legoland they took me to was the wild, wild west, you know. <laughs> Uh, I was like, could I go to the other parts? Right. <laughs> You're familiar with that. <laughs> that. That one I knew. So it was, it was kind of wild uh, yeah, doing yeah. You know, all the things that I got to see. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, tell me more about what led you into to the career choices. Like, what got you to to being in the position where you were, you know, with the Reagan administration? What, like, what kind of things kind of built up to that? How did that happen? I mean, did you seek these out? Did you did you get tapped on the shoulder? Like, what made those pivotal moments in your career occur? Yeah, it, you know, it was a wide variety of things. I had um, done, in, I started college early, obviously, if I was, if I was right. taking a world job at the age of 19, yeah. um, but I did a series of internships and uh, and I'd heard about this opportunity. It was for uh, one college student. I was at the end of my college age at in, um, within the Reagan administration. And so I applied for it. And, you know, and for, at that point in time, what it was also going on, and one thing to understand about my life, because it's hard to explain otherwise, is I'm always doing two things at once. And so <laughs> I actually, during my time in the Reagan administration, I was doing graduate work. Um, and so I would work all day at the Pentagon or the White House, and then I would, uh, and I would go to graduate school at nighttime. And I was doing my grad school work in military weapons systems. So again, kind of unusual. Uh, <laughs> At that point in time, there weren't a lot of women involved in the military activities. In fact, when I was at the Pentagon, I was a 21-year-old female political appointee, and their nickname for me was Tinkerbell, because uh, <laughs> uh, I was I was very uh, energetic and uh, petite. Uh, but I had pursued this opportunity while I was in college, and uh, the opportunity for the military activity. I had heard about this one scholarship to Georgetown's National Security Studies program, and uh, and so. I wrote letters and shared my, my reports every single month with the people who were head of that foundation. And usually this, this grant, this scholarship was given to mid-level uh, military personnel or individuals within the uh, national security arena. It was 85% men and the majority of those individuals were 35 years old. 
So here I am, I'm 21 and, and I just wore them down. I think that's what I did. I will give you the scholarship and get you into the program. But I, I think it's been a combination, which is that I've pursued things, but I've also left the door open to a broader array of how I could use my, my time and talents. While I was at the White House, I had recruited a woman by the name of Barbara Barrett. She would later in life become ambassador, a U.S. ambassador, and then uh, most recently secretary of the Air Force. She's actually the individual that launched Space Force. But when wow. I met her, I'd recruited her to be deputy administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration. And my boss was running late. And so Barbara and I are in the White House. We're sitting in the basement and we're talking for two hours. And, you know, I was only in my early 20s. And I thought she was so old that I think she was 30, you know, 33 at the time, but <laughs> she was old. And, uh, and she had, she goes, you know, you really need to, to meet my husband. His name is Craig Barrett. And he's senior vice president of this company called Intel. And it's a billion dollar semiconductor company. And nobody knew who they were back then. Wow. And, uh, and so I asked to talk with him. And I, I think that's the one thing I try to tell people is that my life has not been a straight line. But what it's done is I've taken advantage of every opportunity when I've met someone to assess where I could provide my unique talent set. And that's what's allowed me to cross over and be successful both in philanthropy and business, but not only in business and multiple different businesses. And, and today where we're seeing all these businesses merge in the area that I'm in today, we're seeing pharmaceutical companies and food companies and agricultural companies actually merging businesses and doing joint ventures over things like gene editing and sustainable agriculture and uh, changing the products formulation of food. And, uh, and so by having led this unusual career, I've actually developed an expertise in how do you enter into the confluence of all these different industries coming together and help them do the next innovative cycle that nobody's ever thought about doing before. Right, right. And speaking of uh, philanthropy, you've been involved in some organizations before. Do you care to share about that as well? I do. I've been on the boards of a lot of uh, not-for-profits, but my two favorites is I was on the board of the Girl Scouts of the USA for six years, a wonderful, wonderful organization. I am. I do a lot still with girls. It's a passion of mine as women and girls worldwide. Um, and then after that, I served as a national trustee for Boys and Girls Clubs of America, which is one of the other largest not-for-profits. And so, you know, it's, it's funny. I get asked to be on a lot of society boards a lot, and I was telling somebody, you know, different arts boards and opera and all sorts of things. And it, that's not me. What I love is I love getting to know the kids uh, and the women that each of the organizations I'm involved with is serving and, and that passion to really, you know, be hands-on and figure out how to move boulders in the road for uh, individuals uh, in underserved communities and really understanding what those boulders are. That's where I get super excited. And then, you know, meeting them, meeting the kids, spending time with them. I've, I've had a chance to visit boys and girls clubs all over the country, as well as Girl Scout councils and you know, even today, I may not be on those boards, but I really love those organizations and help them whenever I can. Absolutely. I think that that is phenomenal. And one of the things that I, I know is leads come from leaders and community, you know, people who get involved in the community, those are the types of people you want to do business with because they, you know, those are the ones that you want to surround yourself with, right? And and so lots of opportunities come from being a part of the community and then giving back, right? Because what you give back comes back in, in, in space and then you get, you know, a, an abundance back to you. <laughs> What's some of the things that you are 
maybe the most proud of that you've accomplished throughout your career? What's the one thing that you're the most proud of? I'm proud of so much that I've done and I haven't done it by myself. I mean, I'm always working with a team of people and it always is a group of people that have brought around significant change, but probably the one that still, you know, is, is my heartfelt thing is when I represented the United States as being the U S ambassador to the world's fair, which is the largest public private partnership in the U S government. And it is, you know, it's what is today it's called the world expo. And right now it's going on in Dubai uh, or actually they're, they're finishing up right now. Now, but when I was there, it was in Japan, and it was one of 200 ambassadors, one of 200 countries being represented, and being able to bring themes around hope, optimism, enterprise, and freedom to the entire world, and the power of innovation that was started in the United States, uh, and we it was it happened to be uh, Ben Franklin's 300th birthday, and so we really focused on. Ben Franklin as being the original U.S. entrepreneur and in uh, all that he did. And, and we actually had the um, Mars rover was uh, landed at that point in time. And so we had it live streamed into the U.S. pavilion. And so having that connection point from the beginning of our country to that moment of being on Mars and all that we were seeing there, uh, it was wow. it was truly, you know, humbling and um, and something probably that I'm the most proud of. Oh my gosh, what what an amazing experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to know what are some some things that you've been motivated by or maybe some uh, mentors along the way or people that have helped you along the way? Who are they and what have they done for you? Well, I've had so many different mentors and, you know, we started this conversation where I was mentioning the Barretts, who I, I really do give an amazing amount of credit to for uh, really helping me launch my career. I got to know them when I was so young and by Craig hiring me at Intel and giving me the experience he gave me. But the other thing is that Barbara basically put me on boards as she was going off of boards. And so really Barbara was integral in my life until my mid thirties, because as she would be on a board, she was on a board for the Department of Defense, uh, working with the integration of women into the military, opening up the ability of women to fly air combat and be on board ships. I came, on, uh, I came in right after her. She opened that door. Uh, I was on the board of a, a not-for-profit corporation that was doing medical research that she had been on the board of and then served on the board of Thunderbird, which is a business management school that's now part of um, Arizona State University. And, um, and so but what I learned from Barbara and what I do myself is that when I leave a board, I replace myself with someone. And in fact, today I was meeting with a young woman um, that... I had uh, been identified to me through the internet uh, as a black leader uh, getting her PhD in a very specific area of bio, um, bi you know, biology and immunology and, and thinking through ways to help her because you've got to credential people. And so later in my life, you know, I've, I've, had the opportunity to work with um, Elaine Chow, uh, who was Secretary of Labor, Secretary of Transportation. Uh, Elaine and I met again when I was in my 20s and she was a few years older than I was. We were both working in the White House. She's opened up uh, a number of doors. She also does the same thing, which is really focuses on credentialing women. Uh, Nancy Brinker, who is head of, uh, who started the Susan G. Komen Foundation, her sister was Susan Komen. Nancy was a U.S. ambassador, raised for the 
secure, again, is a huge you know, benchmark for anyone who is getting involved uh, in medical research. And so Nancy, even to this day, continues to open doors for me and sit and brainstorm with me as I'm trying to solve problems in my former role as CEO of FAIR. So, um, you know, again, just that I think the thing with mentorship is for me, it's a lifelong experience. I do the same thing my mentors did. You don't have to talk to them every day. I could go three years without talking to them, but I know I can call them and go, okay, I'm starting this new organization. I'm a CEO or the president's just appointed me to something. What do I need to do about this situation? Having a group of people that you can tap into. And then what I'm trying to do also is be that person that um, you know, high-performing young people can tap into and uh, and feel confident that I'm going to be there for them. You know, I got them. I wrote their letter of recommendation into college, and now I'm writing their letter of recommendation into graduate school, or I'm helping them with that next job iteration. I love that. What goes around comes around. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so what are some things that you would recommend to, I, I also teach and have, you know, a, a college university class, and I always make sure that my students listen to this too. Going into what the next generation is about to do, I mean, you brought up a good point about the next, you know, jobs, job market that they're going to start to get into. What do you, what would you recommend to them as they start to go in that journey and get into a workable position, right? I mean, in you mentioned internships earlier. I mean, that's really kind of where a lot of your, where everything started, but what would you recommend to them as they, you know, are starting to graduate and ready to take that next step? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is that um, recognize the world is changing very, very rapidly. So the world in which you're entering your career is extremely different from your parents. And part of that is that innovation is changing the market so rapidly where we used to see in Silicon Valley, for example, we used to see companies follow a very distinct pattern throughout the 90s. They were, they'd hit a billion dollars and they'd hit two and then they'd hit four. And, and, and so it was, you know, and people would stay with them through those iterations. Well, now you're seeing companies start, stop, be merged. You're seeing technology, you're seeing a company doing very, very well. And then all of a sudden it doesn't go to the next level and somebody's buying its technology. But when that technology is bought and it's redeployed in another company, it gets to where it was supposed to be. So the fluidity of the market requires a couple of things. One is don't get frustrated. Look at it as opportunity. You know, it's not it's it's not a challenge. It's an opportunity. Really track things that are going on. Read across a wide variety of industries. Don't keep yourself fo so focused on one particular industry. Just try to learn what the connection points are because those concentric circles are getting tighter and tighter. But most importantly, get yourself credentialed. And what I mean by that is, um, I advise a lot of you know. I learned. I started in the government, but then I went to Intel when I was in my 20s. And what that taught me is I learned through their training programs. And so if you have an opportunity to join a large company and go through a management training program with that company, that doesn't have to be where you stay for the next 30 years, but it gives you a capability and a, a process in which to work that will be so powerful for any place that you go. Uh, so those are the types of things that you should be doing. 
you know, publish. If you're a good writer, then start publishing. I was, I've been on the board of a magazine for 16 years that actually got started a foreign policy magazine. And its original purpose was to give um, up and comers in the national security arena, in the international arena, opportunities to publish. And so we were identifying people who are 26, 27, 24 years old, giving them a place to get those publishing credentials. And so you know, it's funny being in presidential personnel at so early in my career, I studied people's resumes. And so when I am talking to a young person and they say, well, this is where I want to go. I'm like, you know what, let's pull up a couple of LinkedIn's. And so I'll have them pull up four profiles of people that I know. And I'm like, see, they're where you want to be. Right. And they're like, yeah, I go, well, let's look at their background. And what you notice is none of them follow the same path, but there are certain credentials that are accepted credentials that they got. And so you don't necessarily have to get the one and only credential. What you want to do is look at there are multiple different ways that you can get graduate school credentials. Maybe it's education executive programs. It might be learning another language. It could be publishing. It could be making sure that you join a speaking organization and so you can put on your resume that you spoke at places. But there's something you want to be very diligent, thoughtful about how you build out who you are if you want to move up quickly. Uh, okay, speaking of moving and going into career paths and directions, I mean, what what compelled you to want to write this book that you've written? What was the impetus that made this like, I have to do this? Well, it's funny. I got talked into it. Um, <laughs> I, I have published a lot. I've written a lot and published a lot for a long period of time. Uh, and I had been down a path of working on a concept around a leadership and character book because I obviously know a lot of CEOs and government leaders, and it gives you a great deal of insight into character. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, character, good and bad. Uh, but so I wanted to write about that. And um, I had a PR person that I've hired, and she goes, You know, Lisa, you really should write a book in. And I'm going to have you talk to a publisher. And so she arranged for a meeting with the publisher, and he heard about my background and he heard about what I was working on. And he said, You know, I think you should write about turnarounds. He said the common theme of everything that you've done is essentially turnaround or taking organizations to a next level of performance. And he said, as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, people are going to need that information. And the way that you've done it is sort of different than the way anybody else has done it. And so I, I once I make my decision to do something, I do do it. And so mm -hmm. I literally from Labor Day weekend through December 31st of 2020, I wrote on weekends and I would get up at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays. I would, we have a guest house. I would go into my guest house and I would write until four o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, and I just, and then I hired an editor mm -hmm. and worked with her on Wednesday night. So I did all this after work. And one would think that since I went to graduate school while I worked full time, that I would have finally remembered how bad and awful that was. <laughs> for some odd reason, I must have forgotten that 35 yeah. years later. Yeah. So I decided I had to do it all over again. Collective um, memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. But it was coming back to me. And I just um, and I just whipped it out. And uh, and she, I will tell you, if you're a teacher, you'll know this. I felt like I was going through a graduate one-on-one course because 
she was really, you know, she wasn't editing what I wrote and redlining what I wrote. She was coaching me. And it basically, she would read what I wrote. She goes, you know, this, this, and this was good, but I really didn't think you did a good job on, you know, page 99 and page, you know, to page 102. And you've really got to do this and you need to think about these things. And, um, and so she taught me the discipline of writing and, uh, and really helped me understand what I needed to do to, to move from basically having, you know, written a lot of articles, but never written a book. Right, right. Well, that's amazing to accomplish. So I'm, I'm proud of you for getting through that and, and sticking to it and getting it done, right? That's the thing is people start it and then they don't complete it. And you did. <laughs> I do. I do finish what I start. I'm that's rather right. fancy that way. That's right. And I had the privilege of just reading a little bit. You sent me a, a just a version, not all of it, but um, it's going to be, when is it going to be released? And, um, you know, since we are on a marketing journey, what are some of the things that you're doing to to get your book out there in the world? Well, actually, the book was released in October, and oh, okay. so, so we did hit the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list the week of October 5th, and so I was very happy about that. Um, I think the thing I learned is you've got to hire the professionals. It's an investment, and so think about your book as the same way as if you were starting a company. You're going to make a financial investment, and so I found people who had certain expertise. I learned there's there's the writing of the book, and then there's the selling and the marketing of the book, and so I, I learned a few tricks and tips along the way, which is, you know, if you if you're going to do a book, you need to have reviews on Amazon. And so I identified a group of people who are really good at organizing the process of reviews. We went through a list of all my contacts. I sent out emails to them. They kept in contact with them. And, and you know, they're like, OK, the week of the book launch, you know, put, right. you, you did your review, you got to post it. And so it was a wonderful team to work with. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then secondarily is I uh, worked with people who I have a PR agent who I focused on doing podcast and I have a digital guy, a social media guy. So writing a book's a business. I, I think that's the number one thing to, to know is it's, it's going into Amazon and it's buying ads and, uh, and it's a process. And so you have to, in any business, you have to understand what moves your market, what moves someone from uh, hearing you talk about the book into buying your book. And by the way, the first thing you should do is go, anyone listening needs to go on Amazon. <laughs> you yeah, can buy yeah. the book in Audible. Uh, it's also in Kindle as well as in hardback. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other piece of this too is uh, building um, academic affiliations. And so I've got uh, Catholic University Business School has my book now on the curriculum. Um, I'm in conversations with two more uh, business schools that are going to be adding it to their curriculum. And so you, you know, you've got to, it's, it's marketing. You got to figure out what's the target market, who does it appeal to, and then how do you maintain the drumbeat? Right. Well, and if students are buying the book, you know that it's going to definitely be an ongoing uh, source of, of revenue because, you know, buying books for students, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're, right. they're, you know, and I hear from them and I, I will tell you, anyone that's listening, contact me on LinkedIn. I do respond. Uh, we have, uh, you know, on our digital, it's Lisa Gable author on Facebook and Insta. And then on LinkedIn, it's just Lisa Gable. But I do respond to people. I am interested in hearing the stories about 
how they were able to solve a problem using the book. And and that makes me feel good. Otherwise, why, why did I write it? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, int- intentionally, uh, it's good to hear from, from people, the feedback that you get and the reviews and, and all of those types of things. Yeah. Um, I think I got the copy that was a pre-release copy that they sent me. So that's why I was thinking it hadn't gone out yet, but now I see. Yeah. And, and how exciting to be listed, you know, on, on all of the, the places that have named and called you out on it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, it was really, it's, I remember when I got my, my first book review, you're so nervous to open that link. It's kind of like getting that letter from college or graduate (laughs) school to see if you got in. Um, And, uh, and then secondarily is, you know, again, I I can't stress enough. Life is about credentials. It just is. Mm -hmm. There are certain credentials that you need. And as an author, for me in a business category, Wall Street Journal was my target. You know, I, I didn't care about other things, but Wall Street Journal I cared yeah. about. Yeah. So um, you have to, as in any business, you have to think about what's going to give you the credential and the credibility. And why is that important? You've put your heart and soul into something. You're passionate about it. No matter what you're doing, if you're creating a new product, if you're writing some form of communication, you're doing it because you want people to take a certain action. In my case, I always joke that I went through so much blood, sweat, and tears with so many different projects. I don't want anyone else to have to take as much migraine medicine as I've had to in my career. (laughs) So So if I can reduce anxiety, if I can give people a path forward that makes their life a little bit easier, then hey, it's worth it. That's right. That's right. So what do you see in the near future? What's what's uh, in your near future now? Yeah, so I'm at a stage in life where, you know, I've been working for almost 40 years. And, uh, and so I'm really looking at what we call portfolio lifestyle. And I'm in conversations with some private equity players, uh, with different business boards, with a major university about affiliations. And, um, and again, I'm, I'm at the giving back stage. And the book really was part of the giving back stage, which is I've had so many people support me through my career. I've had so many people give back to me. Um, I've had people invest in me. And and so ways in which I can help uh, with, you know, some private investments that are going to be in the innovation fields that will really make a difference in people's lives on some pretty big issues, uh, ways that I could possibly work through university structure to uh, support the next generation of leaders. That's that's what I want to do. Excellent. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful knowledge about all of the many things. And I mean, it's just inspirational to hear you speak. And I'm hoping that our listeners will get that from from you, too. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us. Well, thanks for having me. It was really lovely to talk with you. And I look forward to hearing from your students. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, the best thing that you could do is share this with somebody you know that needs to hear what Lisa had to say. And of course, give us a review. We were just talking about reviews and how important they are. So giving us reviews is also helpful to build this podcast and grow it. And so thank you very much for that. And until next time, everyone, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit 
themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.